Psalm 61. Now I'd like you to read out just one verse with me and keep your seats. We'll read verse number two. You too, J.R. Okay. You read with us. Here we go. Verse two from the end of the earth. Will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And so here we have David, King David, and he is expressing this idea of coming to God. And we do that in prayer. Um, Getting our prayers answered is something we're all interested in. Uh, Remember that the only way anyone can even become part of God's family is through prayer. And so prayer and the Christian are connected together sort of inseparably. However, the problem is many of us leave off prayer a lot. We read verses like uh, Jeremiah 33, three call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not other verses where God says, open wide thy mouth, thy mouth wide and I will fill it and promises he makes. And we read these and we say, Oh yeah, that's for me. That's great. But most Christians have trouble with their prayers. And if I might summarize, if I can speak for Christians the world over, in short, we doubt that our prayers are really doing very much good based on our personal experience of not having seen many answers to prayer. And so this universal experience tends to make Christians wonder Well, then why did God put so many promises in the Bible to answer our prayers? If it seems we go years and we never see answers to prayer. And so it's a little bit of a a paradox sort of, it's a, a struggle. It's a question and it's an important one. In fact, it's very important because as we try to encourage non-believers to become believers, we want to be able to tell them God answers prayer. And yet if we ourselves are having real struggles in that area, you see how the devil can use that to shut us down and to, to turn our roaring fire into just a little flickering light. Well, maybe if we were God, then we would see why it is that so many prayers go unanswered because we usually don't know. All, you know, we can say is, well, I tried it. Didn't seem to work. So I tried it again. And it didn't work then either. And so what gives? So I'd like to explore this subject together with you this morning, and maybe we can get some answers. How does that sound? Is that good? All right, let's pray now. Our heavenly father, we want to ask you right now to open the eyes of our understanding that we can get some answers to this perplexing question on why it is that we seem to pray for something or someone and nothing seems to happen. Our father, please help us to understand this from heaven's point of view, because from earth's point of view, we just have the the frustration, the confusion, the questions. And so Lord, please from your word today, give us some enlightenment. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Well, in order for us to understand why it is that we, we don't seem to get answers to our prayer, we need to understand something called cause 
and effect. We need to understand this cause and effect. Now in the world of science, it was back in 1687 when Sir Isaac Newton published his, um, his, uh, uh, his laws of the universe. And he said these words for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And what we have here is like cause and effect. Um, it's like um, an, an energy transfer from one body to another. A brick, for example, will hit into another brick. And the energy moving the first brick will be transferred to the second brick. And the second brick will want to move away. Now, if it's up against, you know, a, a brick wall or something, maybe it won't move very far. Maybe then what will happen is that energy will transfer back and the two bricks then will bust apart. But you, you get this, this cause and effect. Um, so in principle, for every effect, there must first be a cause. Do we understand that much? Yes. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The inventor is the cause and his invention is the effect. Do we understand that? This is the principle behind getting our prayers answered cause and effect. Now in the case of the inventor, after he decides to create an invention, the invention just doesn't magically appear. Does it? Does it? No. Does it take a day? The inventor figures, well, my inventor friend only took a day and he had his creation. Therefore, It'll only take a day for me. Does that make sense? Should he get his hopes up? What happens by the end of the day and he doesn't have his invention yet? Yeah. In reality, you know, it can take many days. It can take many months. It can take many years for the invention to be created and perfected. Right? But when you stand back and you look at the whole thing and you summarize it, you have cause and effect. That's what you have. You have some stuff in between, but essentially you have cause and effect. And I think that's a pretty simple um, explanation. It's the stuff in between. That's the question mark. Well, this is the way it is with prayer. We pray and we ask God let's say to, to save our friend, Bob, Bob is lost and we want to see Bob get saved. His salvation is very important. And so we pray for Bob to be saved. And then we call up Bob and lo and behold, we find out Bob's not saved. And yet we prayed for Bob cause and effect. Well, there's the cause. Where's the effect? So we say, Hmm, Let's pray again. And so we pray again for Bob to be saved. And we call up Bob the next day. And Bob is still not saved. Mm. We get frustrated. And so we, we go to prayer for eight days. And then after eight days, we call up Bob. Bob is still not saved. And so what would most of us do at this point? 
What is it? Give up. Quit. Stop praying. And then we conclude, well, I guess my prayers aren't, aren't strong enough. Or we try and get super hyper theological and say, well, maybe Bob is not one of the elect. Maybe, you know, he's, he's not destined to be saved. And what we're doing is trying to somehow answer an unanswerable question. Because the bottom line is still the same. We're still scratching our heads saying, what gives? God is not willing that any should perish. That includes Bob. Here I'm praying for Bob to be saved. Bob's not saved. And I add up the days. I prayed nine days for that guy. And he's not saved. So what, what is happening with our prayers? Did anything happen? Anything at all? Now in the spiritual world, <clears throat> we have God. And God is not willing that Bob should perish. We understand that much. Yes, we're agreed. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire. So we have on the one hand, we have God. On the other hand, we have Satan and Satan definitely doesn't want Bob to get saved. And Satan has been opposing our prayers, resisting our prayers. All those nine days we prayed and Satan has taken years to ground Bob in sin and harden his heart. So Satan has worked for years on Bob and we've prayed all of nine days and then we quit. Do we see the problem here? Can we see where this is going now in terms of value? Bob's salvation is worth way more than man's greatest creation. Uh, China and the United Arab Emirates uh, and, and the USA have now all got satellites orbiting Mars. What an invention. What a creation of man, huh? I just saw in the news that China got theirs around today. So the three of them got these blobs of metal, you know, floating around the planet Mars. What they're going to do with it, I don't know yet. I just found out that um, that guy, Elon Musk with Tesla. I think he's now the world's richest man, isn't he? He is uh, claiming that he is going to give high speed internet to the entire world. And he's going to do it through satellites. And he's already got some satellites up there. Apparently people are saying that it's really good high speed internet. And uh, the government agencies have given him a, a few years to get 1500 more satellites up there. Uh, apparently there's so many satellites ripping around the earth that you could almost hop from one to the next. There are that many satellites going around the earth. And so um, Musk has a, an idea for that, a solution for all of the pollution in outer space that the thrusters on the satellite, they only last about five years. And then his idea is to shoot the, uh, the satellite out of orbit toward the sun or something where it will just evaporate and get destroyed. 
So he's got all his bases covered. But uh, if he gets this thing going, it's going to put huge, huge competition uh, against uh, Shaw, Internet, TELUS, Internet, and, you know, um, Bell and, and different ones like that, who right now control, it seems they control the, the Internet. Uh, now this is going to maybe put them out of business. Like Amazon has put a lot of companies out of business. It's just weird what's happening. But those, those are the inventions of man. And we applaud them. But I'll tell you right now, Bob's salvation is worth more than all of those inventions. And God is more interested in Bob getting saved than in Elon Musk providing internet satellite for uh, the whole world. The value of Bob's soul. So this brings us back to our prayer problem. We prayed for the guy. God wants him to get saved. I understand. And we're willing. And so we pray and pray. I even got maybe someone to help press pray for Bob. Yeah. Nothing happened. And so we give up. Well, what happened? Why is this? I suggest to you that from heaven's perspective, God has got a lot to do in order to get Bob saved. It's not as easy as we as we say, uh, number one, God has to start bringing about a softening of Bob's heart. And the devil took years to harden Bob's heart. God's got to now soften up Bob's heart. God also has to start bringing the word of God into Bob's life. He may do that through gospel tracts or, or a Christian radio or some preaching or witnessing or something, but God has to get his word because people do not get saved apart from the word of God. If you ever hear of anyone saying, well, I got saved in the Bible. I had nothing to do with it. They are mistaken. They are deluded or they're just lying to you because the word of God has to be involved for someone to be genuinely saved. There are a lot of wild experiences that people call salvation. Many years ago, uh, we were uh, at the dinner table. And we had uh, our nephew and um, his uh, young wife. Were they married at the time? They were, yeah. So his young wife. And I happened to ask her, I said, so when did you get saved? And she had this confused look on her face. And he was already talking about how wonderful they are at church and how things are going great for them. And I asked her this question. Well, he went and changed the subject. And I thought, now I'm going to bring that subject back. So I, I went back to her and I asked her again uh, when it was she got saved. And then she answered something like, well, I started speaking in tongues uh, and then she named the year. And before I could, you know, answer her, my nephew took the conversation and steered it away from salvation. Again, he did it twice. And he was very careful to dominate the conversation so that, I could never get back to salvation with this young gal. So why he did that, I don't know, but I don't think the Lord told him to do that. So, you know, we're talking about Bob getting saved here and God has to do a lot of work in Bob's heart and life. He's got to soften up Bob's heart. He's got to bring the, the gospel into Bob's life. And also God has to start bringing uh, an understanding. He has to start opening the eyes of Bob to start understanding because Satan has blind Bob 
over all of these years. And Bob doesn't understand. We say, praise the Lord. He says, what does that mean? What are you talking about? What are those words? He might hear the words, but he won't understand the words. Hmm? Uh, Sometimes people talk in uh, cryptic code and they're using English words, but we're not understanding them. And that's how Bob would, would hear us when we talk about Christian things and the word of God and salvation. We talk about election. He hasn't a clue what we're talking about. So when it comes to the basics of the gospel, Satan has blinded him. God has to spend time and energy and resources at opening the eyes of his understanding and softening his heart and bringing the word of God in here. Now, meanwhile, remember we had, we had God on one hand, we had Satan on the other. Satan is opposing Bob's salvation. And this has to be dealt with. So more prayer is needed to pull down the strongholds of Satan and to remove the roadblocks that he has set up in Bob's life over the years to keep Bob from getting saved. Spiritually, these things have to be dealt with. Number one, perhaps Satan will bring in some of Bob's old buddies to distract him away from the gospel. Number two, maybe Satan will bring in some strong temptations to sin that'll further harden Bob's heart and confuse his mind. Number three, maybe Satan will use some of Bob's family members to put the pressure on him, not to convert, but to stay with the family religion. And you see, these things are all going on under our nose. We're not even aware of it. All we know is I prayed nine days for Bob to be saved and he didn't get saved. Well, I guess my prayers aren't doing much good. No, you'd be surprised. Your prayers are doing good. They are doing good. Now, what I've just mentioned now, these things about what God has to do and what Satan is trying to do in Bob's life, these things require intercessory prayer. That's Jesus' main ministry right now. He's at the Father's right hand where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So that tells you how important intercessory prayer is. And these things that I've just mentioned require much intercessory prayer. And God needs at least, at least one prayer warrior who understands a little of what's going on in the spiritual realm, who's willing to attack the gates of hell. And so on the one hand, you've got God who's not willing that Bob should perish and all what God has to do. On the other hand, you've got Satan who is willing that Bob perish and is doing everything he can to keep Bob from getting saved. But on the third hand, we got, we got three hands here today. On the third hand, you actually have the Christian himself who started praying. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean that the Christian who first started praying may need some help in order to get his or her prayers effective. There may be things in that Christian's life that are hindering their prayers. There may be some, some sins, some bad habits. There may be some ignorance of certain things. There may be some character qualities 
that are preventing that Christian from being able to pray effectively for Bob's salvation. Uh, Also, God may have to slowly bring that Christian around to understanding these things and then to repent of these things and then to have revival in his or her heart all in order to make that Christian strong and effective in prayer. And so you see, there's far more involved than just, Oh, there's Bob. He's not saved. I'm going to pray. He gets saved. And I'm going to pray nine days after that. I don't know what I'm going to do. There's so much more that has to happen. We see from God's perspective, from Satan's perspective, and even we go and have a spiritual x-ray and see what's going on in our own hearts. And we realize that things have to change in there as well. And so as we can see, God really does want to answer our prayers. He really does. But there are usually many things that need to be done in order for that prayer to be answered. And that's why we make the fatal mistake when we quit and we give up. Now I'd like you to turn to the right in your Bible and go to the book of Daniel. So go past uh, the major prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and you ought to find Daniel. I think he's still there. Yep. He's been waiting here. Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10. Here we have a good illustration of what we're talking about in Daniel chapter 10. Now bear in mind that Daniel at this point was no brand new Christian. He was a man. Well, well seasoned with years, many, many years going through various things. God put him through to strengthen and build him. He was very familiar with the scriptures. He walked with God. He was like sold out to God. And yet he couldn't get his prayer answered here, you know, in a, in a couple of days. Let's look at it. Chapter 10, verse one, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And by the way, for those of you who are in Bible college, that would be somewhere around 539 to 530 BC. So that's the time frame we're talking about. So it says here, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is a Hiddekel. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with, uh, with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face was as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire, his arms and his feet like in color to polish brass and the voice of his words, like the voice of a multitude. This was no ordinary guy. I dare say Daniel hadn't seen one of these guys before. Verse seven. And I, Daniel alone saw the vision for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them. So they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. And uh, I retained no strength yet heard I the voice of his words. 
And when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, on my face toward the ground and behold, and hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, fear not Daniel for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words and pause there. And you might wonder, well, why didn't he come? It's been three whole weeks. What took you so long? Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and 20 days. That's a reference to Satan. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. And I remained there with the Kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. Do you understand what just happened? There were things happening that Daniel had no idea of. He had a burden on his heart to pray for wisdom and understanding concerning something about his people. That was very vital, very critical. He knew by this point in his life that God was using him as a mouthpiece for the nation Israel. And he had this burden upon him and he set himself to prayer and he even chastened his soul with fasting. First day goes by. Second day goes by a whole week goes by still no answer to prayer. Two weeks goes by no answer to prayer. Three weeks go by. And then finally this guy shows up. What happened? Well, as soon as you started praying, God heard your prayer and told me to go to your side, but Satan withstood me. Now we don't fully appreciate and understand these things because we're on this side of heaven and eternity, but over yonder in heaven, they understand these things. Satan is allowed a certain amount of authority and power. And he'll use everything he possibly can to stop and hinder our prayers. And so what we're learning here is that when we start praying for Bob's salvation, God is listening and God starts in motion, all of these things. But then after nine days, we quit. Uh Oh, and so the progress comes to a halt. Things stop right there. Well, usually there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that needs to happen in order for our prayers to get answered. Remember I mentioned earlier, you got the inventor and you got the invention. And in between those two, you got a lot of stuff that has to happen. And this is the very same with our prayers. An example is a little boy. And he says, I want to be a fireman. Now, is that a, is that something good or is that something bad? Nothing wrong. A lot of little boys want to be firemen. Boy, the excitement, climbing ladders, rescuing babies, hosing out those fires, wearing the hat, ringing the bell, petting the dog. I want to be a fireman. Oh, more power to you, son. But you know, it's going to take years in order for him to actually become a fireman, right? He's got a lot of growing up to do. He's got a lot of learning to do. 
He's got to apply. He's got to be physically fit, right? He's got all these things that have to happen. He can become a fireman. It's just, it's not going to happen the next day. Now our prayers must be by faith based on what God says. This is the secret. Now let's go back to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We're going to start bringing this in for a landing any, any minute here. Psalm 37. All right, let's read together verses four and five. Shall we? Everyone, Psalm 37, verse four and five out loud. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now, does that make sense in the light of what we've been talking about and what we've been learning? That we need to pray and just trust God. He's working things in the background. Now it's very important that, as I say, our prayers be based upon God's promises. If you start praying, God, I want to, I want to win the lotto this Friday. Well, you're not basing that upon God's promise. Or if you are, you don't know what you're talking about because the Bible tells us labor, not to be rich. The Bible speaks against get rich quick stuff. God knows that if you were to suddenly come into a big dump truck full of thousand dollar bills, it would corrupt you. You would also become a target for Satan and he would send every idiot after you. You would never have a moment's peace. You would have to seclude yourself in an armed tower with guards. And then what happens to your Christian life, your usefulness and service for God. Now, so many people that even unsaved people that have won the litter lottery, the literary is probably a better way to say it. Litter. Yeah. The lottery. Many of them have wished they never did it because it destroyed their lives, destroyed their families. They never realized that it was a bomb. It wasn't a brick of gold. It was a bomb. So your prayers must be based upon God's promise. That's very important. Um, this promise of God, if you delight yourself in him, so he becomes your delight. You wake up in the morning and your first thoughts are the Lord, or you wake up in the middle of the night and you talk to God, you spend time with the Lord in the morning. You walk with him through the day. You tuck yourself into bed at night and you say, good night, Lord. You delight yourself in him and the things of God. And his promise is he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the good desires on your heart. And then he'll give you those desires because you'll pray and you'll pray by faith. I have some things God has laid on my heart. I have no physical indication that I'll ever get them, but I have the word of God on the matter. In John chapter 15, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Imagine that. Now, when we compare scripture with scripture, we understand now what Jesus is saying. It's part and parcel with delighting ourselves in the Lord. We're going to get good, wholesome, holy desires. God puts them there. And then we pray and we don't give up. And God 
brings about the answer to prayer. That's how it works. You know, we can be tempted to try and help God with our prayers. I'm going to ask God for, I don't know, supposing I'm a single guy and I'm looking for a wife. Lord, I, I, I want you to give me a wife. No wife in sight here. What am I going to do? I know I'll go on Christian dating sites. I'll go on those uh, websites and I'll just put my, my name out, you know, a hundred, 200 times, you know, I'll sign up, do whatever I got to do. And someone out there and I'll let God use it. You see, and that's not what God's interested in. It's like, you may as well go back to the lottery. Well, God, I really want to serve you. and I want to be able to help the church buy a building. So I'm going to buy a ticket on the lottery. It's a $50 million this, this Friday, Lord. And so I tell you what, you let me win and I'll give you half. How about that? Lord, would you like that? I give you $25 million. What would you do with that? God, would you like that? I'll give you half. How does that sound? You know, we, uh, we try to help God along and God is not interested in our help. You remember Abraham and Sarah nod your head one way or the other. Okay. Okay. Abraham and Sarah, God made them a promise. They were going to have a a son. Do you know how old Abraham was? How old? When the promise was made, someone said 75, 75 years old. Imagine a 75 year old man being promised. He was going to have a boy. He'd never had any children. He'd been married to his wife a long time. I'm sure they tried to have children, no children. And so God, God makes a promise and Abraham says, Oh, wonderful. And he tells his wife and she jumps up and down. You know, she's 10 years younger. So she's 65. She's starting now to collect um, old age pension. And so she's jumping up and down as much as a 65 year old can. And she says, wonderful, wonderful. Well, 15 years goes by. And uh, he's now 90 and uh, now she's 75. No, she's 80. Well, how old is she? She was 60, 74. She was 60. I'm sorry. My mistake. Boy, I can't tell a woman's age. He was 75. No, wait a minute. She was only 10 years. I stand corrected the first time. So anyhow, he's 90. She's 80. There we go. Now we got it. Uh, So still no children. And so Sarah says, you know, Abraham, maybe what God was meaning was that we ought to, you know, help him along. We've got, we got Hagar, our female maid, you know, why don't you go under her and we'll have a son that way. And so Abraham, rather than checking with God, goes ahead and does this. And sure enough, Hagar gets pregnant. A little baby boy. What'd they call him? What was his name? Ishmael. Yes. And Ishmael was not the answer to God's promise. Ishmael grew up and he fathered the Arab nation, which has been fighting and warring with Israel forever now. God doesn't need our help to get those prayers answered. God makes a promise. Hey, Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. What does it say? Trust in the 
Lord, with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. God doesn't need any help from man. And we're tempted to do that. When we don't see the, the prayer answered, then sometimes we get a little bit anxious and we want to jump in there. Okay, well, God needs a little help here. God doesn't need any help. God knows what he's doing. This is so very important. He knows what he's doing. God makes no mistakes. His promises are true and his timing is perfect. God always, always gives the best to those that will leave the decisions and the timing with him. Pray, yes, every day and know that God is doing things. But my prayers seem so weak. Yeah, maybe they seem that way. But you just keep praying because things are happening in Bob's life. And Bob is slowly coming around. It was told to us, I think by uh, the evangelist uh, Schwanke, that George Mueller was praying for three men to be saved. And the way I read the story was that one of the, the men, this was shortly after Mueller got saved. He started praying for these three friends. And one of them got saved not too long after. And the other two just wouldn't get saved. And Mueller is ministering, you know, to the Lord 60 years. I believe he was up in his nineties when he died. And so he was, pushing 70 years ministry and praying for these two men. Shortly before Mueller died, one of the, the last two got saved. Then they had the funeral for Mueller. He died. And shortly after the funeral, the last guy got saved, outlived his friend Mueller. God knows what he's doing. He knows timing. He makes no mistakes. And he knows what he's getting himself into when he makes us these promises. And the secret that transforms an ordinary weak misfit of a Christian into an amazing servant for God is found right here to pray and trust God's promises and trust that God is working in behind the scenes in the background, leave the timing with him. Bob doesn't get saved in the first nine days, maybe not the first nine months or the first nine years, but we don't give up praying. We keep on praying. Maybe we get a few more people praying, but eventually Bob's going to collapse into the arms of Jesus. He can't hold out forever. Eventually our prayers will get answered. I wonder what great things God might be wanting to do with any of us here today. Any of us who will be bold enough to take God at his word and pray and submit ourselves to him for any changes that need to happen right here in our hearts. I wonder what great things God could do in the days to come. Well, let's pray now together. Our loving heavenly father, we are so blessed to have you as our heavenly father and to know that you mean business when you make us uh, prayer promises. And uh, we believe father that indeed you are at work actively answering the prayers that we pray. Help us not to quit. Help us not to give up. Father, rest your blessing, please, upon our church, upon our Bible college. We thank you so much for it. 
glorify yourself with answers to prayer, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen.